blessings to you. I hope you have been enjoying this uh, message series as much as I have, and hope you're getting something out of it. And uh, I would encourage you, if you missed a week or two along the way, that's all right. Uh, you can go back in time. Just go on the website and check out those messages and uh, listen again. This is the first time I'll share that message with someone who could use it. Uh, today we are going to be getting into happiness and sadness. And next week our topic is going to be all about marriage, which is such an interesting topic, such an important one. And I'm confident that no matter what your marital status may be, that we will get great benefit next week as we discover what happy people know about the great gift of marriage. Now, perhaps, yes, you have noticed the bozo. And let's see, it's our director of student ministries in the room, Ian Fendler. No, he's not. This is interesting. I'm totally busting him in front of the congregation. He is not in church. But interestingly enough, he said, if you need a volunteer for this next service, he would like to be the volunteer. And, uh, I didn't say, yes, you could. I just said, oh, we'll see what happens. And now I'm calling on him, and he is not here. <laughs> That's all right. Here's what you need to know. With 2 Corinthians chapter 6, St. Paul yeah, comes up with this long list of hardships that he's going through. He's talking about literal beatings, and he's talking about suffering, and he's talking about being imprisoned, and he's talking about being shipwrecked, and he's talking about being hungry, and he's talking about sleepless nights, and he's talking about... Um, he's talking about betrayal from false friends. He's talking about. He's talking about just going through a terrible, terrible, terrible time. Oh, St. Paul, here we go. And uh, he gets to the after that long list of all the tough things and the sad things that he's going through. He gets to this verse. He says. We live on, beaten, and not yet killed, sorrowful, and yet always rejoicing, poor, and yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. I love those two words, and yet. Sorrowful, and yet. Always rejoicing. Sad, and yet happy. Beaten and yet bouncing back up, suffering and yet a smile remains. How is that possible? Is that possible, St. Paul? Yes, it is. But you got to know the one thing. Get on to something like this. No, what? Yes. You think I? Human beings have forever been a 
obsessed with happiness and how to achieve it. The pursuit of happiness fuels our society's most lucrative industries. Books, <laughs> books, books, more books on the subject. Businesses of all kinds promise you that if you just, you know, if you just hand them your money, we'll give you what you want, which is happiness. One thing after another, after another, after another, looking for happiness, buying this, buying that. On and on and on it goes. The yearning for true happiness, though, often proves ironically to be the source of much unhappiness. The restless search for happiness sends many a dissatisfied person packing their bags. The endless chase warps many a friendship and strains many a family and dissolves many a home because someone says to himself, you know, I'm just not happy anymore. I'm not really happy with this. Maybe that will make me happy instead. Many tears have been shed, resulting in a pursuit of an imagined happiness. Psychiatrist Paul Meyer writes, I've had millionaire businessmen come to my office and tell me that they have big houses, yachts, condominiums, nice children, a beautiful mistress, an unsuspecting wife, secure corporate positions, and suicidal tendencies. They have everything this world has to offer except the one thing, inner peace and joy. The one thing. If you're a Christian, you know it. St. Augustine of Hippo knew it. In writing one of the world's greatest sentences, this thought, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. C.S. Lewis knew it. He said, What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods, could sit upon their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of this hopeless attempt has come nearly all what we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empire, slavery, the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The reason why it can never succeed is this. God has made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Jesus knew it. 
saying, come to me, you who are restless, and I will give you rest. You go looking for real, long-lasting happiness outside of Jesus, and we will never, ever find it. You come to Jesus, and you'll have so much more, more than you'd ever, ever need. Jesus is the life, freely giving us grace and love and kindness and peace and forgiveness and worth and happiness and joy thrown into. And yet, why are there so many joyless Christians? Why do so many look like they got baptized with lemon juice? Well, here's why. Because this world is broken. But because we're broken. Because sad things happen to God's people. Bad things will happen to you. Do not be dismayed. Do not be surprised. Do not be shocked when sad things happen. Tim Keller writes, one of the main reasons a lot of Christians are continually overthrown is not simply because bad things happen to them. At least half of their discouragement and despondency is due to their surprise at the bad things that happen to them. You see the distinction. 50% of the reason we get so despondent is that we're shocked. We say this isn't how it's supposed to be. We say life should be better. But that's not what God promised. Or we say, hey, we love God, therefore surely we should have more good circumstances. That's not God's promise either. God does not promise you better life circumstances if you love Him. He promises you a better life. You look at that clown over there. I think it's a great picture of a disciple. But no, it's not the big nose and the goofy hair and the crazy clothes, although some Christians do possess such things. Here's what I think this bozo over here is a wonderful Christian image. First off, he wears a target. All Christ's followers do. The devil seeks to destroy, and he is always taking shots. And the more you follow Christ, and the more you put his words into practice, you actually do what he tells you to do, the more you find out that your target gets bigger, and the more you find out how true this is, do not be surprised. Bad and sad things happen, and yet the smile remains. Sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. Life comes at him with a fury of flying fists, and yet he stays on his feet. A right hook of rejection, a sucker punch of loss, enemies hit below the belt, and yet he bounces back. There is something about him. There is something within him. Down. And it keeps him happy, no matter what. What is his secret? It's hope. Hope in Christ is the weight. Hope in Christ is the anchor. Hope in Christ is what happy people know about sadness. 
Hope in Christ says that we have peace with God. Since we have been made right with God by our faith, we have peace with God, which is our greatest need. But God has demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were sinners. Christ died for us. We have a Savior, so we have a peace with God that is settled, done, finished. Peace with God with a happy consequence of faith. A happy exchange has occurred. Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Put it another way. He who was happy became sad, so that we who were sad are now happy, because God is happy with us. But for sure, sad circumstances will continue to happen. But those who hope in Christ will never, ever, ever, ever come close to suffering the sorrow or the wrath or the abandonment or the tragedy of the cross which Jesus bore for us. We'll never get close to it. It's done. He was despised and rejected by man. He a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. And yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us the peace, the punishment was about was upon him. By his wounds, Christian hope is based on the proclamation of Christ crucified. In his love, God chose to take it out on himself. Christian hope knows that the ultimate sadness was upon him. Christian hope holds on to the promise that we now have peace with God. But there's more. So much more. A happy Christian smiles in knowing that we have a place with God. We have a peace with God and we have a place with God. We have gained access by faith into this grace. Ah, great word. Grace means it's free. means you don't got to do anything. You don't earn it. It's a gift. And so the happy Christian is thankful for the gift. Thanks for the gift of grace. Grace. And no one that's free, that's yours, puts a smile on our face. We never get over it. We never tire of hearing what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We never get over it. We have peace with God and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Meaning we have a future. We're happy because of the hope that we have in sharing in God's glory. We're going to share with it. Come with me. We know that the best is yet to come, and therefore we can rejoice even in suffering because we know. We know the promise. The hope does not disappoint us, no. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he also gave us. We know that because of Jesus that we can be happy and sad all at the same time. We can hold those opposing emotions at the same time. Oh, yes. But happiness.
Jesus will win in the end. Don't do that. Joy gets the last word. We know that anything bad or sad or wrong is going to turn out for good. Why? How? Why do we know that? Because of a promise. We know it because of a cross. We know that we have been forgiven. And that cannot be taken away. We have peace with God. Happy people know of an empty tomb. Easter is history's greatest back. We know that our Redeemer lives. And that means everything. We know the promise. We have a place with God. Happy Christians know that the best is yet to come. Wonderful punchline up there from Tim Keller, who got it from Jonathan Edwards, I believe. Cheer up, Christian. Your bad things turn out for good. Your good things can never be lost. And the best things are yet to come. That's why you can't be happy and sad all at the same time. Now, please don't get the impression from me, though, that your sorrow isn't real. Oh, it surely is. I know it. I think I might be an expert on the subject. I think I might be the most happy, sad person in this room. I really do. I brag. It's just I'm a pastor, and I've had 19 years here, and so I know everyone's stuff. I know it does not escape me at all that there are some who I'm talking to this morning who are cutting it out with cancer, that there are some who are living in a loveless marriage, there are some who are trying to take care of their parents as they live their, their last days on earth, and others who have children who are breaking your hearts, and some are barely making it financially and somewhere some have lost a spouse buried a child others are caught in a depression some cannot shake this addiction they keep going back to it and for so many and for so many reasons too many reasons to even come there is this great fear of the future a time to mourn. I'm mourning myself. Oh, my sweet dear friend Joe, I just heard between us right before the service started that he is with the Lord. That's how you're happy and sad at the same time. That's why you can have a smile and tears at the same time. I'm going to miss him so much. I love him. Love him. But I'm also so changed for him. Man, if anybody is having a great time right now, it's Joe. Oh, wow, oh, wow. Uh, I'll tell you what really makes me sad, though. It's me. My own sin. I even get shocked by it. It's like what Tim Keller was saying. It really bugs me about me. It makes me so sad. I should know better. I do know better. 
I keep doing the things I do? Why don't I do the things I'm supposed to do? I'm even a pastor, and I mess it. Oh, so sad. What a hypocrite. Don't you know? <laughs> You've got to hold on to the promise. If you don't hold on to the promise, you're down and you'll never get up. Even this past week, you look at the news. Right? We think of uh, the events about 9-11. Did you do some reflecting and stopping and thinking about all those people? Hmm. And maybe if you pay attention to the internet or whatever, Pastor Jared Wilson, who took his own life, I didn't know him personally, but I think I kind of did. I, I read his books. I liked him a lot. I took it personally. I'm like, no. No. It's Suicide Prevention Month. His uh, friend and his ministry partner, Pastor Greg Henry, responded with this quote. I really like it. He said, one dark moment cannot undo what Christ did on the cross for us. You know someone in your life, your family's history is suicide? Hold on to that. One dark moment cannot undo what Christ did on the cross for us. Or what about your own sin? Your dark moments, my dark moments, cannot undo what Christ did on the cross for us. That's the hope that we have. You see, brokenness and sorrow is serious business. Don't trivialize it. No. No, 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 no. Our souls know hurt. Our souls know pain. Our souls know loss. That's why we must hope all the more. And not a wishy kind of way. Really hope. No, not a wishy kind of wimpy hope. I'm talking about the knowing, certain, coming on it kind of hope. The kind of hope that holds on tightly to the promises of God. It is the only thing that can take away sadness and win. And it keeps us standing. And it keeps us even smiling in suffering. Hope is the ability to declare no matter what those two wonderful words, and yet my Redeemer lives. He lives. It's so important to hold on to the promises of God. It is the air that fills up the deflated. I know that in the end my Redeemer lives. Vivit. That's Latin. For he lives. Martin Luther, the great reformer. Oh, boy, if anybody knew about deep sadness and depression, it was him. He knew it all too well. His life, he dealt with it way more than I ever did. His life is in danger. I mean, they wanted to burn him at the stake, and they did. His, his buddies who followed his teachings, you imagine the guilt that Luther must have had over that. 
He had to bury his daughter. I don't know if she was 10 years old or so. That really, really messed him up. He had financial troubles, church troubles, health troubles, betrayal of friends. There was a war on plague. Plenty of enemies. At one time in particular, he was just empty. He was out, sad, down, spent. And he holed himself up in his study room at home, and he wouldn't come out. He couldn't snap out of it. Ever feel that way? Snap out of it. Oh, okay. How you doing? Luther was down. His wife Katie was worried. So worried that she had her husband's buddy, a pastor friend by the name of Johann Bugenhagen. That's a great name. Johann Bugenhagen. Come over and visit. He did. He knocked on the door of the study. No answer. Bugenhagen went inside and there, sitting at the desk, is his friend, Martin, with his eyes full of tears. And he's just kind of quietly weeping a little bit. And he's writing something with his finger in the dust on the top of his desk. V-I-V-I-G. It's five letters. V-I-V-I-G. Over and over again without saying a word, just writing in the dust. V-I-V-I-T. He lives. Bogenhagen saw that and he started smiling. Because he knew. He knew that Luther would be okay. Because he saw that his friend is holding on to the promises of God. And so, he started laughing. It's good, right? He starts cracking up. And then Luther started laughing. And sometimes, maybe it's the very best time that as you are going through that sadness, V-I-V-I-T, he lives. I know some are dealing with very real sadness, and yet he lives. V-I-V-I-T, he lives. Sin, sickness, suffering, pain, sorrow, sadness, all too real, and yet we hope. We know he lives. Things turn out for good. The good things can never be lost, and the best is yet to come. And dear friends in Christ, let me say this: sadness ain't all bad. Even a good thing, because I'll tell you that sadness has a way of keeping you close to Jesus. And really, if these were the two options. Happy without Jesus or sad with Jesus? I'll take sad with Jesus, please. But that's not the option. The option is happy and sad with Jesus. And Jesus, he was the happiest guy on earth. Jesus was the most joyful man around. Kids wanted to come with him.
Cyrus, who knew all too well about suffering. Yeah. We declare he lives. And I will tell you this, that is what this world needs. That is what St. Charles needs and what, what Messiah Lutheran Church needs out of you and me is a happiness in the midst of sorrow. Because that catches people's attention. Our Savior told us, you are the salt of the earth. He said, you are the light of the world. Well, sometimes, maybe oftentimes, that salt comes through tears. And that light that you shine shines best when it's really, really dark. I'll finish with this quote from John Piper. The taste of life that people are aching for to see is a person who is happy in the midst of pain, who's got something that's so deep, so unshakable, so integral, so invincible, so when all around their soul gives way, their joy doesn't give way. That would be so salty, so bright, so bright it would look like the glory of God on earth. Well, friends, we have it. We need it. We have peace with God. We have a place with God. We have the promise of God. We have a Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord, and V-I-B-I-T. He 